Amen. Now, thank you. What I like to do is uh, when we come into a place of, uh, of anointing, <clears throat> we can have breakthroughs and miracles just by doing little things. And uh, you're all seated, so you don't need to stand up. But I, I just would like you to believe God right now for a specific miracle that you need. You know, no matter how good it is, you always need one more miracle. I mean, that's something you can't make happen, but God can if you believe. Everybody say, I'm going to get what I believe, not what I need. Now, see, you may have a need, and you say, well, God, won't you fill my need? He's, but see, when you believe, that builds relationship. You believe his goodness, then his goodness comes into your situation, gives you a miracle. So just put up your right hand of authority and, and believe his goodness. And I want you just to pull down. I'm th- I have to think a minute. I want to focus for a miracle that I need and that I want personally for me. For you, say for me. Okay, that, I don't want you believing for me. I want you to believe for you. Okay, okay. <laughs> so just pull it down and say in Jesus' name. Okay. Now I want you to think about somebody else that needs a miracle, but they may not have the faith, but you have, God wants you to pray for them. Just think of a person that has a need. Let the Holy Spirit bring them to your mind. You know, people could get miracles because of your faith, not because of theirs. Remember the guy left through the roof? Jesus didn't look at the man paralyzed and say, oh, I see you have great faith. He looked at the guys and let him down. So just put up your hand one more time for somebody else. Think about them and just and say, in Jesus' name, I pulled down a miracle for them. Now, see, it's very important to realize <clears throat> two different things. If you don't live in a miracle yourself, you do not produce a miracle atmosphere around you that other people can enjoy. When you get a breakthrough, you encourage somebody else, they can get one too. When you turn, when the way you live affects the way other people believe they can live. So what I want to talk about today is a little bit on identity. If you go to my Facebook page and I'm a little bit more social than Yuri, and I'm on, I'm on social media. <laughs> and so Facebook, you'll see a little thing, but there's a little X over a, a woman's face. It talks about the devil wants to steal your identity, and that's a 30-minute program. And there's another one that's five minutes, but that's not the whole program, and there's a lot more behind it that I'm going to be teaching. But what I want to, I believe this with all of my heart, that actually... If you look in the Bible, every time God meant somebody, he had to change their mind about themselves more than about him. Moses knew God could take them out of Egypt. He just didn't believe he was the man. He actually told God to choose someone else. Now, I know none of you would say that to God like Moses did because you're, you're better than Moses. How many of you have ever said, God, get someone else? Have you ever been believing for God to do something and you're believing somebody else to do it? And God said, well, you're believing for it. Why don't you you believe for you to do it? Well, I wouldn't want to be selfish. (laughs) No, no. So what has to happen? 
Whenever you read the Bible, when God meets somebody, he changes the way they see themselves so that they can work with God. And God said, you know, Moses, I'm a deliverer, but you don't see yourself as a deliverer. Until you see yourself as a deliverer, I cannot move through you as a deliverer. Does that make sense to you? So what God did, God let God gave Moses Aaron because he said, I, 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 can't, I, I can't speak. I've been handing it out too long with a shishi sheep. Bad, I'm bad. Anyway, bad. And he said, I can't speak. Now, if he was raised in the courts of Egypt, he would have been fluent of speech, but he lost his edge. Do you know you can actually lose your genius by hanging around dumb sheep? I've never said that before ever in my life. But I'm going to tell you something. If you hang around anointed people, you will get more anointed. If you hang around annoying people, it'll actually steal the anointing. There are conversations you can't afford to have with people because when they leave, they will take half of your anointing with them. Your anointing, they'll take your anointing with them because you entertained an annoying spirit. I will love people, but I will not put up with stupid. Stupid is when somebody spends time putting down somebody else that isn't there and they're not concerned about fixing it. That's demonic accusation. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. I know there are people that have problems and some people say, well, why are you with this person has a problem? I said, because I'm here to help them. I'm not here to put people around me to look good. I am here to help the body of Christ win. I am here to help people that are marginal to get right back in the middle. I have had more people get back in the ministry than just a few because I'm willing to go the second leg with somebody else. And I want to tell you this. When somebody goes the second mile with you, it means you need to go the second mile with somebody else. Don't you let your victory stop. You extend it to someone else and help them to win. Your destiny, in your destiny, you have to win But you have not fulfilled destiny until you help other people win. Jesus did not leave heaven to come to earth to win over the devil. He already kicked him out of heaven. He already won up there. He came back so you and I could win. When you go places, don't you go to win. You go to help other people win. You should already have victory. So when you go to witness, you're not waiting to see how you do. You're waiting to see how they can do. See, if you're waiting to be accepted while you witness, the devil has you. You're supposed to go witness to accept them. Forget you. You should already feel accepted. Don't bring your rejection on people. You wouldn't want Jesus, would you? Please, please say yes because I'll feel better about me. A drunk knows better than that. I'm going to tell you this, if you fall so in love with him, if other people don't like you, you can handle it because your goal is to love them, not to get them to love you. Does that make sense? Okay, so in this, what I want to do is is today, I really felt God said there's something, and it goes along with what's being said, there's something being shifted in the body of Christ. How many of you know they just had that descend? They had all those people that are going out to, to witness. I believe we're on the edge of a one billion soul revival that's going to go around the world. 
And I don't think it's going to stop with one billion. But I'm going to tell you this. Until the church has a better view of itself, we cannot invite people to the celebration of Father God. We have to be having more fun, more anointed, more breakthrough than the average heathen. Than the average religious person. When I say average religious, it means they go to a place to feel better about themselves, but they really don't connect to God. And religious can happen to any of us. You know, in the, in, okay, I'm not even going to go there. I don't have time for that. Well, let me just make one comment. <laughs> Do you realize that, that Paul had to call out Peter because he was starting to eat with people that were circumcised? And he said, come on, what are you doing? It's, they had some shunning going on back then. I'd sit down with you, but you're not circumcised. Pretty crude, isn't it? But it was real. Because, see, it was the old covenant that they had lived under, and they could not shake off that, that we were all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the covenant we live under, not the other one. And I will tell you this, God wants even us as spirit-filled people to honor the blood of Jesus over people's life that don't even agree with us. If you can't, listen, when I go to prophesy to a Baptist, I don't go up to him and go, You know what I do? I know that they cannot accept that. I meet them where they're at. So what I'll do, I said, you know, when I look at you, I see this scripture because they'll always accept the word of God and a scripture is a word from God. Then I know they, can, they can't handle prophecy, but they can't, but pr- pr- prophecy they can't handle, but they can handle pr- pr- prayer. So can I, pray for, can I pray for you? Let's not be so belligerent that people have to meet us where we're at. We did not get here overnight. Meet people where they're at and then let, take Jesus, let Jesus take them to where they need to go. And see, if we'll be that way, God can use us in a greater way because we're, we're being like Jesus. We're meeting people where they're at, taking them forward a step, and then let them start to walk with him. And, and we start creating a synergy of unity. So we're not trying to make everybody think like us. That would even be dangerous. How many of you know that we don't have it all worked out? How many of you have totally figured out how this thing is going to end? I believe this. We will be no better than the Jewish church that didn't know how Jesus was come. He's called out of Egypt, born. He's he's from Galilee. He's born in Bethlehem, and he's called out of Egypt. Now, which camp are you? And that people said there, I know how he's coming. No, you just need to know him and let the details. You can have your opinion. Opinions are like onions. No, they're opinions are like armpits. People have several and they always stink. Okay, so we can know the word of God, but in other words, we have opinions. Don't don't get divide fellowship over how Jesus is going to come back. Let's talk about let's let's come into unity about what Jesus is doing now. And the disciples say, well, are you going to come back here and come back there? And Jesus said, forget it. I'm telling you, I've anointed you to make, be my voice in the earth. Let's get busy about what we're doing. And that will make us more fruitful. Does that help people? So, you know, I know that's going to kill some people's end time ministry. 
of spending all their, all their, it's like, why do you have to figure how this thing's going to end? Why don't you get into the, why don't you get into the game right now? I'm not, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying, don't make that be your focus. Okay. He said, I'm anointing you. Now, as I'm going to go, I woke up and the Lord said to me, I, I had, how many of you had a dream last night? Wave your hand at me. I dreamt and I can't remember it all, but I actually saw a number. And the Lord said, I want you to go to 17. So I went to 17 in what I was preaching. And he said, I want you to preach out of this. But I want to tell you a couple things. I'm going to go back because he took me between two books. And I wanted to say this uh, about that. that I'm going to talk about, just a minute, about Goliath. Because that's in 1 Samuel 17. I really felt like the Lord said to me, and I'm saying this to Freedom Church prophetically, I really felt this is a time you're going to take down your Goliath. And a Goliath is an intimidating voice. And one of the things that was interesting about Goliath, he w- they gathered at Succoth, which belonged to Judah. So where, where Goliath stepped into actually belonged to David's family. It belonged to the worshipers. And I feel like the Goliath always tries to step and say, you cannot worship your way into your future. It tries to come and step on your Goliath always steps on your worship and tries to steal your worship. Whenever you start feeling down, you start feeling sad about something, get your, get your worship up, get your Judah moving, and watch things change. You're, you are just one worship away from having another miracle, another breakthrough. And if you, will, if you will not worship, actually the devil has the right to give you a breakdown. Because you're exalting the problem above your God. You're making the problem an idol instead of an opportunity for God to move. Do you know what God said to Moses when he was crying out? I mean, this is not a good day. Uh, the, The Egyptians are coming to kill you. You have a rebellion in your leadership. They want to stone you. And you're trapped by the water. And you say, God, I I told you I didn't even want to do this. And he's laying on his face. and, And he's going through 10 miracle plagues. They've left with the silver of Egypt. They've been blessed. And he's sitting there. And, they, and the people are saying, was there no graves back in Egypt? You brought us out here to be buried. I mean, this is not a good meeting in the church. And Moses goes down on his face. He's crying out to God. And you know, God, God how many you know God is really patient? But there's a time... He's just what he said to Moses. Read in the Bible if you don't. What are you doing down there snobbing in the ground and crying? Get up. Stand up and raise up your rod. And God's saying, I am not going to move with you crying and acting like a little baby. You're now going to be the man of God I've called you to be. You're going to stand up, raise up your rod. Then I'll move, but I'm not going to move while you're crying and having a pity party. Now, I know this would affect nobody here. Uh, not affect me, but there's been a couple times I said, God, do you even know my name? Do you see what I'm going through? Have you looked my way? Do you know what I'm going through? Haven't you ever felt like that? And, and I'm saying, and God said, Dale, when you were a baby and you cried, I helped you. You're now, a, how many know when you're 45, you can't lay on the ground and cry and people pick you up and hold you and hug you? <laughs> are, are you with me? You're in a different season. And God said, man up, woman up, come on, because I need you to step up. 
I, I would just tell you this. I don't, I'm, while I'm ministering, I really felt like, uh, come over here. What's your first name? Gene, Gene, I really felt you were in a situation a lot like Moses, and God said, there's a breaker anointing that's over your life, and if you'll stand up, you're going to see God do something really powerful for you. His hand is on your life. His love is on your life, and I felt like this. God said, I'm going to break off the losses the enemy put over you, and I'm bringing you a victory. There's something he's doing for you, and I just saw the power of God go right through your heart, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's something special that's resting on your life. And I just released the dreams of heaven. There is something God is doing. And while this, I don't understand why God does this to me, but sometimes when I see numbers, I see 27. I'm, I'm assuming you're just a couple years older than that, but I'm trying to remember. Do you remember something at 27 that was like a, a near death or something that changed in your life at 27? Does that come to you? If you think of it, you can tell me afterwards, but I really, you think that's when you hung yourself? Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you why God showed me this. He loves you so much, and what I saw is I saw an angel behind you. And the Lord said, I saved you, and I brought you forward, and my love has been around you. And the Lord said, today is the day to receive my love. Today is the day to walk in the love. And God said, I saved you. And the Lord said, I, the end, I felt like I saw all these dark demons trying to come after you. But the Lord said, prayers have kept you. And he is, there's something he is going to do in your life that's so powerful. And you, if you just say, yes, Lord, just say, yes, Lord. From your heart, if that, you mean it, say, yes, Lord. My life is yours. He'll flip it around because this is your day. And I believe that. And I will pray with you more afterwards. But I feel that you just need to know how much God loves you. Man, he loves you. He stopped me in the middle of my sermon for this. Amen. He loves you. Amen. Now, what, what I wanted to say is, whenever I have a negative view of my life, I actually invite the devil to drive me in the ground. The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Do you know when you start thinking negative thoughts about your life, you actually give him a hammer to beat you in the ground? And I'm going to tell you, the devil's going to beat you up, but don't put him in the unemployment line. Make him earn his living. <laughs> don't you pick up the hammer and beat yourself up. You were made in his genius. You were made in his likeness. And I will tell you this, some of you have never seen yourself the way God saw you when he created you. He created you with his genius. None of you were born, born or formed a loser. You were born a winner. When God made and created you, he saw you as a winner, not a sinner. What happened is sin did you in and made you a loser, but you were created a winner, and he born again you to get your winning rights back. But you were born a winner, not a, a sinner. Are you hearing that? The reason is because a lot of people believe, well, I'm just a sinner that got saved. No, you were a winner that come under a sinner, but you got your win back through being born again. Now you're back to your winning status. All right? See... Does, does that make sense to you? Now, see, that changes everything. And so what I started believing is 
instead of I, I'm just believing God, I'm a loser that's believing for a victory. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you. Don't answer right away. Would you rather be a winner who's lost four times and won once, or would you rather be a loser who won four times and only lost once? Most people say, I'd rather be a loser that wins four times and only loses once. The problem is, if you're a loser, everything you win, you will lose because that's what you do. And you'll end up with nothing. The winner who, Thomas Edison, how many times did he mess up before he got a light bulb? How many other inventions did he get? Did he say after the 900th time, I must be a loser? No, he said, I'm getting closer to winning because I'm a winner. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you know, this is a fact, all the millionaires today, average, 80% of them is new money. That, you know what that means? If you're a millionaire and you give it to your kids, 80% of them are going to lose it. You might as well spend it and enjoy your life because they don't know how to handle what they didn't earn. Now, the other part is 80%, 80% of the millionaire's new money went bankrupt average three times. They did not let failure to take away how they saw themselves as victorious. I'm a winner who just got the wrong idea. I wish the church would get that kind of an attitude. I'm, I don't care if I lose here and I lose here as long as I win here. If I pray for two people that don't get healed and the third one gets healed, I got one healed. See, some of you are so worried about winning at everything and God said, would you just be faithful? You do what you do and then I'll do what you can't do. So right now, what I want to say, God has dreams over everyone's life that some of you have never even entertained or thought possible. And he said, would you see yourself in a clearer way, because if, if I show you the dream I have for you and you see yourself negative, you don't believe you could get there because you feel like a failure trying to be in a place of success. My grandfather was an orphan, raised my father who was the oldest son. My, father, my grandfather suffered depression, sat in a barn, Amish, adopted into an Amish home, not loved thinking about killing himself in the barn because he didn't feel like he belonged. That man raised my father, and my father was the oldest. So my father didn't know how to be a father to me. He got spirit-filled, and many great things happened. But most of my life growing up, I was raised by a man who was raised by an orphan. That's why I wrote on the orphan spirit because that was my struggle. My father didn't know how to celebrate me. Also, my father didn't know how to receive celebration. Now, this is the deal. When, when, when something happens good in your life, when David, I want to go back and say this. David ran toward Goliath, a shepherd. He walked away a warrior. Why? He let the victory change his identity. If you don't let your victories change your identity, you've missed the purpose of the victory. The victory is to make you think you're something different than what the devil told you. Does that make sense? 
Because God didn't want David just to be a Goliath killer. God wanted David to be the next king. And to be a king, you had to be a warrior. Remember his older brother Eliab who was tall like Saul? He looked at him and said, your heart's wicked. Now how many of you know when somebody, when you start to dream, people will accuse you of having a wicked heart. Because you must be proud. I'm going to tell you something. There's so much false humility in the church, we look like a wet noodle to the devil. And anybody that has backbone must be proud. I'm going to tell, this is the part I say to people. God has been so good to me before I leave this earth, I'm going to be really good to him. I want to make him as famous in people's eyes, great in people's eyes. You may say, why do I even prophesy to people? Because I serve a living God, not a dead God. And you know what? If, if you don't hear from somebody for three months to a year and they're older, you start thinking they're dead. People will say, you know, I haven't heard from Aunt Susie for three weeks and she's 99. I think she's dead. And some people say, well, I haven't heard from God since Jesus has been on earth and it's been 2,000 years, maybe. Remember when the Beatles put out or somebody that God's dead? They shouldn't have done that. It ruined their career. You don't talk about God and get away with it. I don't care if you have a haircut like Amish. You know the Beatles had air cut like Amish? They did. They did. Isn't that the truth? I looked at them and I said, they're, they're, they look like my roots. <laughs> I'll tell you, the world just is crazy. The world is crazy. So anyway, I don't even know why I said that. It has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> It's just, it's just part of, how many know, if, you, if we cannot laugh a little bit, now listen, I take what I do very seriously before the Lord, but I enjoy my journey, and sometimes we just need to laugh to get some things off of us so we can get into some things, and we can start believing for something greater. Now, as, as I am ministering today, and, and, and we're going to be doing some more tonight, but I just want to say that that out of today, I want to I come back to the thing with David. David was overlooked by his father, but he was chosen by God. David struggled with his identity because his father always thought his brothers were better. We actually know out of Psalms, most theologians think that possibly David was the, uh, the son of a handmaiden to Jesse, because remember what he said in Psalms? He said, I was conceived in sin. In the 16th, 13th century, they, the church thought that meant uh, that if you had sex, you were sinning. So after sex, you'd have to repent to get right with God. When you were even married. Because they thought, it was, they thought sex was, it was dirty. Are you with me? But the truth is, David was conceived outside uh, of Jesse. It wasn't his mother, so he'd have been a half-brother. He would have had no inheritance. He, by Jewish law, he would have had nothing. I'm going to tell you, by the sin in all of our lives, we'd have had nothing, but Jesus grafted us into everything. We've all been grafted in. 
Because Jesus, in a sense, was born out of wedlock to break the curse. He took the curse of shame. Mary carried the shame. They were going to stone her. Come on. Don't tell me. Jesus, he, he did not take the easy road so that it could be broken off of us in the name of Jesus. So what I, what I want to say, though, about David is God had to rebuild his identity so he would help shift a nation back to worship. David had enough worship to drive the demon off of Saul. Are you with me? And that authority over that demon gave him the anointing to take down Goliath, who was demon-empowered. His worship was so anointed, he knew that he could take that demon that was running Goliath. Goliath was not just a big man. He was demon. He said, I'm going to take you down by my God. He was calling on demons to work through him. And David was calling on his God to take out the demon, but he had already broken the power of the demon off of the king. Now, some of you, you're going to start correlating where you have worship to break demonic forces that when you get in front of people, you can break demonic things in the name of Jesus because of the anointing of your worship. And I will just tell you this. Right now, there's coming a Judah into the church that's going to cause this explosive one billion soul to sweep. The worship is going to be so deep, people are going to get healed in the middle of worship. People are going to get delivered in the middle of worship. People will come into church and they'll have to leave their demons outside because the glory's so heavy. It just they're going into the holy of holies. You're going to come in and your heart. That where your heart's been discouraged, it's going to launch in the spirit because the anointing. And listen, we were made for the anointing. I don't care if it's a country concert, a rock concert. All You know what they all do? You can't lift your hands. That's only rock and country. We're the only ones that can lift our hands. But the devil's trying to, stiff the hand, he's trying to steal the hand lifting worship. He wants what to go to God. Are you with me? We were made to worship. You go to any secular concert and hands go up, but it's to the wrong spirit. But I'm telling you, the church's hands are going up and the devil's going down. Darkness is going to be broken. Deliverance is coming because there's a spirit of David. And I'm looking here. Now, we're going to eat at 12, so I have to plan this out because I can tell when saints get hungry, they get mean. And I, I just want to keep on the good side. <laughs> okay, I want to just talk about this for a minute because this is a service. One of the things that happened, and I'm, I'm going to just say this. You know, David was given Michael, which was Saul's daughter in marriage. She loved David, but she didn't love what David loved. She didn't love worship. She actually put down his worship and you know, when David became king, he had Michael brought back to him as his wife, but he never had any relationship with her because of her attitude toward worship. If he'd had babies with her, he would have reproduced the spirit of Saul. You cannot reproduce with people who do not have the spirit of David. If you try to reproduce with people who have the spirit of Saul, all you'll do is produce more anti-worship spirit. 
And he wouldn't have a relationship. He said, I know you're my wife. I have to have you to secure the kingdom. But I can't be intimate with you because it'll produce the very thing that will destroy what God calls me to create. David, his worship drove off demons. His worship took, took the demon out of Goliath. But his worship brought the ark back in to Israel and worship was restored. What Saul lost going to a witch. Now I'm going to tell you something and I will say this to you. It's going to come out that ministries have actually gone to witchcraft because God won't talk to them to hear, to gain a victory. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to come down. And I'm not just talking about large ministries. I'm talking about house churches. I'm talking about every church. You know, I get tired of prophets saying, God's going to deal with the big ministries. Really, what I hear is a spirit of jealousy. Why don't you think God deal with small ministries? Why do you want God to just judge everything bigger than you? Are you trying to get ahead or what? Come on. Big or small, I want it to be pure. Let's not get self-centered in our judgments. You know what? I want people that have large ministries to make it. I don't want, I want small ministries to stay in the heart of Jesus. I don't want to lose anyone. I'm not against. Everybody has opinions. Remember, armpits. God loves the world. If he loves the world, we ought to love the church. You know what the church is? It's just simply the world that God saved. Some of you, you weren't even safe to be around before you knew Jesus. And some of you still have some hangover habits we're working on. <laughs> you know? How many of you know that every once in a while you get that, you get a little demon of anger come on you again, you know? Especially if somebody cuts you off the car. You know, and I'm going to just tell you something. In California, you know, they do this thing. The, the, the gangs, they get all their cars, and they go on a six-lane highway, park it, and then sit on their hoods while everybody hunks their horn. You haven't had that trouble out here, have you? Where Amish take two buggies, block the road? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you something. I saw two. Don't you have to be 20 years old to ride a, ride a buggy? I thought so because I saw these, ten, two, these two 10-year-old boys. They were riding this and They were doing such a great job. I said, well, 10 and 10, that makes 20. That works. <laughs> but these kids, they were on the ball. And I looked at that. I said, there's something about that that makes men grow up in the Amish and makes them responsible that we've lost. I mean, when you look at some of these things, we need to honor some of the principles that are there. And I, I just really admired it. I just, I was really amazed. I've never seen two boys that small, but at least they were helping each other. They were like a team. Now, let me get back to my preaching. David, David was small in the eyes of his brother, his father, but he was big in the eyes of God. This is the deal. David had to get to the point where he wasn't small in his own eyes. Saul was small in his own eyes, and when he got lifted up, he got big in his own eyes. If you have insecurity and God lifts you up, you'll go into pride. The level of insecurity will become pride. But if you come into the place of in Christ, you come into a place of what I call of greatness and humbleness, 
You're not feeling insecure and you won't get proud. You just give him all the glory and you expect him to use you. Everybody say, I expect him to use me to do great things because he's a great God. And there's people that have great needs. And I'm going to tell you this. If you'll start believing for the great, God will start hanging out with you because there are people he can take to heaven. There are other people that can, he can be with and they bring heaven to earth. Now, I'm not against the people that just all they want to do is go to heaven, but I like to hang out with people that like to bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you know there are people that bring hell to earth through the devil? I think there ought to be some people that bring heaven to earth. We need some equal competition. Would somebody show up, grow up, and bring heaven down because there's other people bringing hell? I will just tell you this, and, and I, as I'm wrapping up here, I'm looking at my time. I, I really felt that the Lord said today the purpose of this service was to release a Davidic anointing over f- a freedom fellowship for this new season. But I'm going to give you this scripture, and it's going to go over the head. It's going to flow on the body. But what I want to do is I want you to go to First Chronicles 17. And it says, Nathan and David... David said, listen, I dwell in a house of cedar. And uh, he said, but the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant is under a tent curtain. And Nathan said to David, do all that's in your heart for God is with you. But it happened that night, the Lord came to Nathan and said, listen, tell him you should not build me a house to dwell in for I've not dwelt in a house. He talks about it, goes on. I'm not going to read it all. And he said, uh, And this is what he said to David. Now, I find this very interesting. Verse 7. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David. How many know to God he was a servant to the people he was a king? Don't ever forget if you're a king to the people, you're a servant to God. Actually, when God went and he told Samuel, he said, I want you to go and anoint a king. He said, I want a king for myself. Saul was a king because the people requested it. David was a king because God wanted him. Whoever you are, be that for him first, the people second, and you'll be okay. If you try to be that for the people and then God, you're going to get messed up. I'm a king for him first. I'm a prophet for him first, and I'm a prophet to you second. It keeps everything really clear in my mind. And so what he says is, he said, listen. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to being ruler over the people of Israel. What God was saying to David, he said, David, you couldn't even lead sheep. You followed them. In other words, he's saying, you really weren't that talented at all. (laughs) Matter of fact, you were sort of a mess. You're following the sheep. How many know this is not a good sign of leadership? Do you know that some of you, Don't look like a leader, but God can make you a leader through the anointing. He can bring out what the genius he put in you that he knew before your mother even held you in her arms. God formed you a winner. But if you have to get close enough to him to find out the genius he put in you, you'll never discover the glory God has hid in you if you won't give him glory, if you won't give him praise, if you won't sell out, you'll never buy in to what heaven has for you. 
And today is a sellout David morning. It's a time to sell out saying, God, we want everything you have. We want to be the David. Freedom Fellowship is like a little David. What's that little church doing out in the middle of that? Sheep. Horses. Well, wow, that's, just, uh, that's just that little church. Uh, what good can come out of Apple Creek? What good can come out of Galilee? And I felt like God said, this is going to be a David anointing time, and we're going to do that. So, But what I want to go on to is I'm going to show you how David responded. Now, God says to David, you wanted to build me a house. He said, what I'm going to do, uh, he, said, he said, I'm going to build you a house and I will establish your house and your kingdom forever. He's not just talking about Solomon. He's talking really prophetically about Jesus. And it says in verse 16 of 1 Chronicles 17, David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord, that, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? David was actually amazed. He said, God, I knew you would use me, but I never knew you'd take me this far. And he's actually worshiping God. And he said, What more can I say to you? Uh, in verse 18, for the honor of your servant, for you know your servant. In other words, he's saying, you know me inside and out. I'm not that amazing all the time. I live with me. How many know you live with yourself? Now, if you don't believe this is true, that what I've always told people, if you really thought you're that great, I would like to put a speaker over your head Put two wires into your brain. Everything you think is, comes out through the speaker. How many of you would be willing to wear that for one day? You would hide in your closet and pray in tongues. So <laughs> you'd be going, why does she do her hair that way? Well, that isn't good. <laughs> I, mean, <what's, laughs> you, I mean, all kinds of stuff would come out, you know. <laughs> How many of you know you don't want that? I live with me. That's why I thank God for his mercy. Okay? So in it, now that we've got that one settled, David said, listen, you know me. And he said in verse 19, O Lord, your servant, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you've done all this greatness in making known all these great things. I'm going to say this. You're coming into a season where God's going to start letting you know his greatness, but it's going to be in your life. David is thanking God for the greatness of God coming through him. He's looking at God as a source, not him as the one that's great. But he said, God, you're sharing your greatness with me. You're letting your greatness come through me so people would know that you're a great God. And in this part, what I want to say, you are God's great advertisement that he is a great God. And literally, when you, any victory you have is bringing glory to him, and it helps, it helps other people believe they can win. But, and in it, our life is to be an open testimony of God's goodness. And it's not just when everything goes your way, it's when things don't go your way and you still worship and you still are happy in the middle of the mess, before the miracle. So what I believe is there's a Davidic anointing, but what I want you to read I don't have time to cover this all right now, but I'm going to tell you two or three times what David does. He puts God in remembrance of what God promised him. And he said, now, God, you said it. You need to do this. God, I heard it. I'm believing you for it. In other words, David knew it wasn't just enough to, 
to hear the word. He had to receive it and then speak it back to God and activate it. Some of you are receiving prophetic words, but you're not activating them by speaking them back to God. You need to start speaking your prophecies back to God and it activates what God has spoken over you and the word becomes flesh and you start living in what has been said to you from heaven. But until you say it from earth back to heaven, heaven has nothing to connect with. How many of you are ready to give God something to connect with by saying back to him what he has said to you? Now, I'm actually coming under a spirit of conviction while I'm preaching. Could the ushers take this woman out of the service? Now, I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is the truth. I am feeling convicted that I am not saying back to God what you said, but I will tell you this. When I, when I went on Sid Roth to be interviewed, I knew in my spirit that the interview was not set up right. Sid Roth said to me, Dale, just whatever the spirit does, you do. But I had had a podcast, and it was good and part of it, but it didn't really go the way I felt what the Lord wanted. So I went to bed, and God actually gave me a dream of the interview. How many know God is that good? He gave me a dream, and at the dream, end of the dream, I saw myself anointing Sid Roth with oil, and I talked to him about the anointing oil, how it shifts people's identity. And in it, as I put it in front of him, this is right before we go on, and it's, I mean, he's getting ready to do all these shows, and he looks at me and he said, well, Dale, if you're going to do that, why don't you anoint me with oil? And I said, Sid, I dreamed it, but I didn't want to say it. I wanted you to say it. And he went, shh. And so you're going to see when I anointed with oil, there was a man who doesn't see much. He saw two angels standing there. But you know what I did? Before I got on that show, I said this, I am not an interviewee. I am a prophet. I'm not going to sit there and answer questions. I'm going to operate out of who you've made me because I wasn't that comfortable in the natural being on the TV set. But what I did is I didn't try to set what I was going to say. I set my identity so God could say it through me. Do you hear the difference? I want you to just do this. I want everyone to stand up. This is the hope that it's coming to an end, but the best part is here. And then I'm going to do something for the pastors that's going to flow. I want you to say this. I'm setting myself in Jesus Christ. And he has set in me an identity. He wants to move through me and to me. And I say, welcome, Holy Spirit, to use my life as you choose to show your greatness through me. And I receive the greatness. Father God, you put in me from my birth to bring you great glory. You were made in his image and likeness so he could fit in you and you could fit in him and you could work together. God needed Moses to bring him out of bondage God needs you to bring people out of bondage. And no more crying. Get up. Wipe off the slobber. Lift up your rod. Come on, just put your hand up in the air. And watch things start to open up in Jesus' mighty name. Put up your hand, honey. Higher, higher. I want it up higher. 
Okay, you got to deal with the staff. I've told her a couple times, Eagle Fire Ministry. I've told her a couple times, Eagle Fire Ministry meeting, all the eaglets report. That's just her. And we get these things worked out. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. In Jesus' name, I say authority over you to change situations that when you lift up your voice, you lift up your, fear, your, your faith, things have to change around you because you were anointed for greatness before Father God. I want to ask, let's give him a shout and a hand clap. Now.